Hello, this is Ian Wolfe, producer, host and writer for Diffusion Science Radio. This show depends on your support. Please make a donation directly with the PayPal button at www.diffusionradio.com. Or you can support Diffusion by downloading a free Audible book from audibletrial.com science. Or go to diffusionradio.com support and click on an Amazon link or buy a nano drone as a Christmas gift. Diffusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. <sighs> Toxicology, astro seismology, magnetism, the dark side, genetically engineered potatoes, planetoid, planetoid. I love that word. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, educating for the future and the National Innovation and Science Agenda. But first up, here's the news. Innovation business for businesses while they business their business. Last Monday at midday, Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull announced his innovation and science agenda live on TV on ABC News 24, only to have the line fade in and out as if he was on dial-up. As Communications Minister, Malcolm Turnbull destroyed Australia's national broadband network. The plan to replace the ancient failing copper communications network, that cuts in and out, with future-proof fibre optics. What you're about to hear is exactly as it was broadcast. There's nothing wrong with your radio or your podcasting device. Good afternoon. I'm here with uh, my good friend and colleague, the Minister for Industry. The mining boom, the mining construction boom has been great for Australia. It has driven growth in incomes. But, as we've seen, the mining boom inevitably has receded. What is going to drive Australian prosperity in the years ahead? How does our economy transition? The agenda is going to help create the modern, dynamic, 21st century economy Australia needs. Our fundamentals are strong. We're in our 25th year of but we need new sources of growth if we're to maintain our high standard of living, high wages and generous social welfare safety net. There have never been more opportunities on the Okay, uh, just uh, unfortunately we've got a few issues uh, with this link to the CSIRO. We'll uh, stick with it uh, for it the moment. There this are uh, major announcement by the Prime Minister. To entry for Australian businesses, no matter where they are located, right across Australia, they can sell their products and services to just about every corner of the globe. The Prime Minister announced a $1.1 billion program for innovation and science to be spent over four years. This was meant to give the appearance of returning some of the $3 billion budget cuts that sent hundreds of scientists out of work, including the team who invented Wi-Fi 
and earn the government more than half a billion dollars. Sadly, 99% of this $1.1 billion may not be spent until after the federal election next year, and absolutely no money will be spent on science before July 2016. In the final three years of the program, less than 10% will be spent on science, and all of it on computing. We cannot future-proof ourselves from change, nor should we seek to do so. Okay, so still having a few issues uh, with this link to Canberra. We're going to stick with this as much as possible because it's a major announcement from the Prime Minister on innovation. Uh, this is uh, from the uh, CSIRO offices there. We know while we're kind of... Entrepreneurship and risk-taking by focusing on four key areas. No election has been announced, but all the experts predict that it's likely to happen before October 2016. The latest it can happen is January 2017. Perhaps the second year's funding will be paid unchanged before the next election? In 2015, the National Information and Communications Technology Agency, NICTA, had its $95 million per year funding cut by 100%. Some of its scientists and all of its intellectual properties were turned over to the taxpayer-funded Commonwealth Science and Industrial Research Organisation, CSIRO, their Computer Science Division, Data61, without any funding to pay for the extra management costs. Data61 is now promised $25 million each year for the final three years to do the work that NICTA did with $95 million per year. It's really a $295 million funding cut disguised as a new payment. Quantum computing will get nothing in the first year and then $5 million per year for the final three years. The Australian Research Council Linkage Funding Scheme Connecting Universities to Business is listed as getting $0 for the whole four years of the innovation agenda, which I hope is a typing mistake. Critical research infrastructure like the Synchrotron and the Square Kilometre Array Telescope will get $459 million over the final three years. That would be impressive if it hadn't already been announced in the budget. The Prime Minister stated that there's a shortage of people studying science and technology and computing. If this was true, everyone who had a degree in science, technology and computing would have an extremely well-paid job due to their scarcity. The reality is that there are no career paths for young scientists in Australia so people choose not to study science. Science communication, or inspiring all Australians in digital literacy and STEM, where STEM stands for science, technology, engineering and maths, is promised $84 million over the final three years, but nothing in the first year. Of course, any funding for after the election is an election promise and to be taken with a large crystal of salt, given that this government uniquely managed to break every single election promise it made. OK, we'll just interrupt there, but it looks like we've got that link back now to Canberra and the Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull with his innovation announcement. Nation and inspired, led, incentivised, we will have a very long ideas boom in the 21st century. The other 90% of the $1.1 billion promised is for business, commercialising research. There are tax cuts for investors, 
changes to the bankruptcy laws for startups, and exemptions from capital gains tax for venture capitalists, but nothing in the first year. A CSIRO innovation fund will be established to commercialise research, but not in the first year. There's also planned a biomedical translation fund to invest in biomedical businesses, starting with $2 million in 2016. The money for these funds will be taken directly from the Medical Research Future Fund and never spent on medical research. The Medical Research Future Fund money came from the sick tax, cutting doctors' government wages to make them pass the cost on to sick people as a hidden tax. So will they pay for this billion-dollar package out of the $3 billion they've already cut since the last election? No. They say they'll pay for this agenda by making more cuts. But they will have to wait until next week to hear where the new funding cuts will fall and who will suffer. Fortunately, recognising that the mining boom is over, the Prime Minister announced an ideas boom that will go on forever. OK, unfortunately, it looks like we've uh, lost that link once Domestic again. Uh, let's try another agenda. line. This is a century of ideas. This is a time when Australia's growth, when our living standards, when our incomes will be determined by the, the human capital, the intellectual capital that all of us have by unleashing our innovation, unleashing our imagination, being prepared to embrace change we usher in the ideas boom. That is the next boom for Australia. And you know something? Unlike a mining boom, it is a boom that can continue forever. It is limited only by our imagination. The hashtag ideas boom was used on Twitter to discuss the innovation agenda. And Twitter complied with tweets like these. Use social media to leverage the power of citizen sarcasm. $11 billion to buy back dodgy copper to kill an innovative NBN and then pretend to be heroes by spending $1 billion on ideas boom after $3 billion cuts. Get other people to come up with your policies. Fish and chips. Cut emissions. I mean, actually cut them. Not get a note from your mum saying the rules don't apply to you because of your knee. Ideas boom. Auto manufacturing sunshade products, 100% renewable using world best miniaturization algorithms, aka trees. Ending subsidies to dirty old energy. Sell beverages in a large foil bag that can be easily attached directly to a hill's hoist. Food delivery service for scientists stuck in the lab at 11pm. Hand sanitizer that kills only 0.01% of germs, but like the 0.01% that the other one doesn't. Hacking photosynthesis so it's 200% efficient instead of 100% efficient. An app that makes vegetables taste like chocolate. Where's my money? A gun that shoots knives. Sausage on a roll at elections. Ideas boom. A machine that translates dog into English. An app that monitors your toys and tells you what they get up to while you're away. Meat-flavoured versions of things that aren't typically meat-flavoured. Government policy based on evidence and or rational thought. Disrupting air travel with crowdsourced unregulated private flights by unlicensed pilots. Ideas that are so self-aware they file for bankruptcy before actualising.
Monorail. USB-powered desktop wacky waving inflatable tube man. Let the Wookiee win. MPs to be renamed Policy Ninjas and get paid only in exposure. Vegemite, but with cheese. Tinder, but for voting. Remember to not sell militarily important assets to China. Ideas boom. Earthquake prevention through the employment of sheep's bladders. C++++. Like a sandwich, but toasted. Move Australia three degrees south to combat global warming. Police sirens that play the theme tune to the bill. One tap for hot, one tap for cold, and one tap for wine. A screening tool device targeting sociopaths, megalomaniacs who want to become politicians. Ideas boom. So unfortunately, it looks like uh, that link just isn't reliable enough uh, at the moment, uh, but we'll bring you more details of that announcement when we're able to. to Ian Wolf on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. You're still a citizen with the power to vote. Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. Are we going to use it constructively to promote peace and, and give the world freedom from want? It'll be up to you, and you too. At Orbit Oz, the space entrepreneur meetup in Sydney, I spoke with Jackie Slavero. Jackie Slavero is the founder of One Giant Leap Australia, a science and technology advisor and lover of all things education. I began by asking her, how is she inspiring students in her classroom for the future. The way I'm inspiring my students is to look at the old ways we used to teach things and compare it to today and I'm thinking that they have a lot of time online but much of it is just screen time, doesn't mean a real lot. So I try to give relevance to what they're seeing in the media around future jobs and robotics and coding and all those different exciting things and then to try and make it relevant by giving them real world problems to solve and allowing them to be innovative and creative and be risk takers. What age children are you teaching? I have been teaching 10 year olds but I'm finding now that more and more people are asking me well what can I do with my five year old student 
or I have a 22-year-old uni student, can you please talk to them about what you've learnt over time? So I'm finding the range is expanding much broader than just my Year 4 classroom and also sharing ideas and education resources across the world. So this week I've spoken to people in Houston, Canada, India and South Africa. So we do a lot of sharing. So by having a global network, I can then talk to my students about global attitudes and things that are happening in other classrooms around the world so that it reassures them that what they are doing is very international and relevant. So lots of different age groups, lots of different people, lots of different backgrounds and different cultures. So it's expanded right out from just you, from my 10-year-olds. What sort of problems are you getting them to solve? Things like, it's all right to, to study something like Mars. Yes, it's the red planet and all those other things, but that's really two-dimensional and flat. So I speak to my students about what is a colony, what is a community, what makes up those things. So if we are going to go and colonise the moon, if we are going to go and colonise Mars or another planet, what does that really mean? Because it's not just people and buildings. It's belief systems. It's economy. What exactly are we looking at? How are we going to feed everyone? What about waste management? What about recycling? How can we do all this? And I get them to debate a return trip to Mars or a one-way trip to Mars. So then they have an idea of an informed way of understanding what we're actually talking about because it's okay to say Mars and it's red but it's very different to say what is our community, what makes up our community and how are we going to replicate that somewhere else millions of kilometres away from home. So giving them this really open-ended and broad problems to discuss and solve, 10-year-olds get right into it. So... um, you know, a lot of the ideas, I, what I try to do is make them then make models and then talk about it like it's real and give them a real audience. So some things I've gotten them to do, um, one time we talked about communication. So I got 16 board members from Telstra online, video conference from Melbourne, and the children pitched their ideas to those. So 10-year-old children talking to high up board members of companies that make decisions around these things. So them realising that the adults are talking the same kind of things as the children are talking and then they look at careers. Do I want to do this as a career? Do I want to do that as a career? What's my future? Because they're seeing more and more jobs are disappearing in that area and there's a lot of talk about jobs appearing in other areas but they're sitting in the middle. So by skilling them up with problem solving, critical thinking, trying to allow innovation, failure, resilience building their self-esteem, all of those things are great employability skills of the future. So really, regardless of what the the jobs are when they're grown up, they'll be able to adapt? I think with the self-belief that they can achieve anything, it's not really the content, it's about the belief in themselves. So if they believe they can do it, they will do it. So if we nurture that as educators and allow opportunities, as many opportunities as we can, for students to see where their niche is, where their passion is. And it might change five times, but at least at this point in time they're passionate about this and then we can create an 
a forum and an area for these students to fully explore who they are at this time. And then later on, because we've nurtured risk-taking and the resilience we've built around that and given them hope and world vision and empathy, and they also look at each other's work and then give feedback on that, then they grow as learners. So it's not really making expert anything but giving them the skills and the ability to collaborate and network with each other without having the negativity around, I'm a failure. Because often that's what happens. They think if they don't get 100% in a test, they're a failure. We need to get rid of that, that whole concept of that, and praising them for having ideas and coming up with solutions to problems they might not ever be able to solve. But at least they can try, and then we can say to them, that's a great idea, let's build on that later on. And how does the whole STEM, science, technology, engineering and maths fit into that? Well, see, by having STEM, well, STEAM, really, because when you add in the arts, it can be how they present the end result. So what you do is you have a big, big idea, uh, a big question, a big problem for them to solve. And then what you do is you encourage the students then to look at the science around what they're proposing and then the design process so when you add the two together that's the technology the design looking at it in a way of a designer what should it look like why would it look like this if we build this on Mars what do we need to do let's do some science around radiation of that what's it going to be like what shape should it be what color should it be how big should it be so when you look at that design, you do the science. How can we heat it? How can we keep it cool? How can we do all these different things we need to do for, for life? But before you even start that, you need to say, how are we going to communicate our message? When we evaluate this, who are we communicating it to? Who is our audience and how are we going to do that? So by working that out, students then, then know, this is the big problem. My audience is going to be... a I don't know, another class or it could be a local politician, someone like that. And then how am I going to do that? I'm going to deliver it in a two-minute video that I'm going to create on my iPad. So then they know that they've got to do that end result before they even start. And then that way you've scaffolded their learning and that way when they come back to deliver it, there's the performing arts and the art. So it could be a poster, it could be a... A, a drama, it could be any of those things. So by looking at it in a in that integrated way, everything links into it. All their reading comes in from literacy, or their numeracy around their science and and their design process. So by integrating it all together, you create this really in depth understanding for the student on what what they're doing and where they're at. How well accepted is this approach in primary schools? It's really funny because. I think primary schools, I've been doing this approach since well, the late 90s, I suppose. Like I was, when I was at uni, we were doing this kind of thing, the whole integrated units and things like that. I think the difficulty is not so much primary school, but more high school and the tight timetabling and trying to get faculties working together with a timetable around they have to they have math at this time and they have english at this time so it's more around the strict timetabling more i think than the philosophy around it i believe if that loosens up a bit and the more people trial things and are more successful at it and the more that's shared around the more i think it will be more broadly accepted i just would like to 
say to all the teachers out there, just what are you passionate about? Because last week I was at a conference and we asked the students as teachers, how can we how can we empower you as learners? What do you want from us as teachers? And all the students said, give us real things to do and be passionate about what you teach us. Please don't stand out the front and look miserable because that's not what we want. So if you're passionate about mosaic tiling, integrate that into something you're doing in the classroom. Share your passion with your students. Find your passion and then use that in the best way you can to make sure that you can ignite the, the creativity and the innovation in your students. Well, Jackie, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Jackie Slavero, founder of One Giant Leap Australia, friend to astronauts, educator and advisor. This is a story of the future, but not the very distant future. Like all stories of the future, however, its beginnings lie far back in the past as far back as the first man on earth to gaze at the stars and wonder if someday, somehow, he might travel to them. Travel through space. Sometimes mishaps occurred and men paid for them with their lives. The work went on. Experiments in celestial navigation, astrophysics, aerodynamics, until finally only one obstacle remained. That, as our story begins, turned out to be the oldest obstacle in the history of mankind, the human factor. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to join us? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. You can send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, helpful suggestions, and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send me an email so I know you're listening and would like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter, at Ian Wolf. Checking production was Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the community radio network, including 2 Triple H in Hornsby, Karingai, 2NVR in Nambucca Valley, 2XX in Canberra, and 3NBR in the Mallee border districts of Victoria and South Australia. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos from this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, then explore more than 700 previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are indexed by keyword so you can focus in on what you want to hear. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. 
It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick, everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.